HawkeyeInsider.com, David Eichel, part 24-7 sports, along with Sean Bach. A little bit late for a post-game reaction podcast, but now we got some time to sleep on it and uh, kick back a little bit. Sean, Clapgate. Uh, it's, it was a pretty interesting post-game comments from Scott Frost and Kirk Ferentz at the end of yesterday's Iowa 26-20 win over Nebraska, making it six straight for the Huskers. Uh, I mean, for the Hawkeyes over the Huskers. Uh, Tyler Goodson, career high in carries. Got 111 yards. Iowa's passing game was very hit or miss after a strong start, sort of tailed off. And despite getting no pressure on Adrian Martinez or Luke McCaffrey all day, the Iowa defensive line uh, came up big. But, Sean, there's a lot to, I think, digest here. So, I guess let's just start with the overarching picture. Uh, What do you remember most from yesterday? Then we'll just go piece by piece and sort of break it down because it really was – I mean, like most – I feel like most Iowa-Nebraska games – an incredibly just weird football game. Yeah, it was definitely a weird, weird first half. I think I know a lot of people, like almost every Nebraska and Iowa beat writer and really every fan and kind of just maybe even the Iowa team, like kind of thought going into it, like, hey, we're just going to run the ball down Nebraska's throat and see if they can stop us. And Nebraska did a hell of a job in the first half, especially to really um, tame Iowa's rushing game and not let Goodson really do anything. I mean, he had one big run in the second half, but or maybe it was two big runs in the second half. Um, and that was really about it. Uh, the guys mentioned after the game that Nebraska was giving them different looks up front. Traditionally, I think they're more of like a 3-4, while they went with like a 4-3 look and packed a lot of guys in the box yesterday, which made it really tough and had a couple guys coming in from different angles that Iowa wasn't really – wasn't really ready for. Um, obviously, you game plan to play Nebraska against a team's typical defense, and Nebraska did a good, good job of changing it up and kind of said, like, hey, we want Iowa to beat us in the past game. And, I mean, you could say what you want about Puturis. I, I thought, you know, considering the circumstances and the stat line, I think his stat line was a little bit better than his performance that we saw in the field, at least, I think some of the throws that he made while there were some good ones. I think there were some that you look at and you're like, Oh my gosh, like cringy in a sense. Um, yeah. But you know, and, hey, and just missed. Yeah. Like Not that one to Amir, just... that one up to uh, Amir Smith Marset going up the middle on us. I think it was a seam. Um, yep. He missed him. Just <laughs> flat out missed him. was wide open. And yeah, I mean, I think offensively it was probably one of Iowa's, Worst games, I would say. I mean, I know the run game got going, and um, obviously Petrus wasn't wasn't great. But you know, at the end of the day, you find a way to win, and your defense did a great job of bailing you out. I, I wouldn't say bailing you out, but because I mean, the first half they were definitely struggling. I think part of the second half too, where Nebraska was able to really move the ball down the field. But that last quarter, the defense really did a spectacular job. And same thing with special teams: a couple bounces going your way. And you're talking about a different game here. So, I mean, as Spencer Peter said, it was a team win. Like, not everyone was clicking. Not the offense wasn't clicking for the most of the game. Um, defense had struggles. Special teams was probably good throughout outside of Keith Duncan's missed field goal that he doinked. Um, but, you know, like Peter said, it was a team win. I think that's all you can ask for right now. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's important too, Sean. I think you need to highlight – I got to give Nebraska a lot of credit defensively. I thought – especially like you said in that first half their defensive line looked tough the linebackers despite being without Colin Miller who's the emotional leader of that defense 
I thought they played very well. They played very motivated. And I'm not going to say they looked like the black shirts. I mean, my personal opinion about that is they should give up the black shirts until they can prove to be a reliable defense because it just does an injustice to what they actually were back in the day. But, you know, moving on from that, something that stood out to me, Sean, that I wish I had an opportunity to participate in the postgame press conference outside of just listening to it but asking a question, and maybe I just missed it, but I was very surprised to see Tyler Goodson get 30 carries and Makai Sargent only get five. I wasn't sure did Sargent get dinged up at all. I think that's something that I'm going to ask uh, very early uh, in our next media availability because – Tyler Goodson getting 30 carries, Sean, is something that people have been harping for and calling for for a long time. And Grant, he's probably being very, very sore after the performance he put on. Uh, But again, 111 yards, I thought he took good care of the ball. And when Iowa needed to make a play, I thought they did. Something else I want to dive into, I didn't think Iowa's play calling was good at all. I mean, there were a couple times where I'm like, that is a fantastic play. The first thing that I think of when I think of that, Sean, is during Iowa's final drive. I believe they're facing a second and 11. They did the play action. Petrus rolled out, hit Sam Laporta for that 15-yard gain, and that's when Scott Frost started to use the timeouts. I thought that was the, I thought that was a huge play uh, in the game. But, yeah, it, you know, it, it feels like it was the Iowa of old of last year just because of how many missed opportunities they had. I mean, I know Keith Duncan's four or five barely, I mean, barely missed that last 51 yarder that just went right off the bottom of the, uh, of the, of the field goal post, but just Iowa not being able to take advantage of the opportunities given to them on offense. And like you said about the cringeworthy throws, I'll dive into his interception in a second, but another throw that I tweeted out immediately after it happened, he missed Tyrone Tracy for at least a 15, 18 yard gain right over the middle wide open pocket. I mean, you're talking about social distancing. That was Tyrone Tracy and the defensive backs and safeties on that play. Completely wide open. Just flat out missed him. And I get it. I know Kirk and all these people keep saying, and I've said it, and I think it's a defensible thing to some extent. There is no sum, barely any summer, no spring practice, a very weird fall that you would never plan out to be the way it was. But you're a third-year player, and this is your sixth career start you have to be able to hit that 90% of the time. And there were some throws that, you know, that were caught, but they were behind them. They were behind them and they made great catches. I mean, I think of the Sean Byer one-handed grab was phenomenal. Sam Laporta had a couple catches he had to catch from behind. Right now, the timing is just off between Petrus and the receivers. And at times, it's almost like Petrus is trying too hard to aim the ball instead of just going through his progressions and trusting his motion and trusting his mechanics. And, I mean, I, you got to be aware in the pocket and everything, Sean, but it feels like to some extent he's got to loosen up because he just looks like a ticking time bomb and so tense in the pocket right now. And I think that's very much costing this Iowa passing offense a lot of opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that. I would definitely – I'm in the, you know, popular club where in terms of, you know – I've been underwhelmed with how Spencer Petrus has played. I really don't think there's a lot of people that are in the minority of that. But I'm in the minority of thinking, you know what? Like, I understand. Like, he didn't have spring ball, didn't have really a true, like, fall camp to really get adjusted. I know he's been behind Stanley for the last two and a half years or what, however long he's been in the program. I get that. Like, I know it's frustrating that he hasn't been able to put things together yet. But I think 
we'd be talking about a different conversation if Iowa was losing. If Iowa lost, like, you know, the last – if Iowa lost this game to Nebraska, if Iowa lost to, you know – Minnesota. I don't know Penn State. No, let's let's. Those were blowouts, and that's let's not talk about Minnesota and um, Michigan, Michigan State. State. But let's talk about you know Penn State and Nebraska. Like if those were losses, and Petrus played the way he did. Now, the Penn State game was a step forward, without a doubt. I, in my opinion, sure. But I think Nebraska. I think is right when people are saying they kind of took a step back. And I think if Iowa lost those games, I think maybe we'd be talking about a different conversation. But I think the fact that I was winning those games, like, yeah, it's notable that Petrus has had struggles, but you can kind of throw – you can afford to throw some of those things under the rug because, you know, I was winning games, and that's really all that matters. But also I look at it this way too. I've heard good things about Alex Padilla. The coaching staff has said good things about Alex Padilla. But you got to remember that Petrus is the guy with the most experience. I think they trust him the most. I'm not saying Alex Padilla would not be a good quarterback at Iowa. I'm saying that Petrus is the guy that they had the most trust in right now and the guy that they believe in and the guy that's been the most proven. Padilla, backup guy, I think he could find a role eventually. But I also think that Petrus has a lot more intangibles that you want in a quarterback at this point, more chemistry with the receivers in a sense, depending on who you talk to. While Deuce Hogan, true freshman, just enrolled this fall, like didn't really get much of a summer. I mean, got a summer, but it was very weird. Um, and really is like, is keeping charts on the sideline. Like it's either yeah. Padilla or Petrus. I don't, I, I mean, I think Deuce Hogan will be a quarterback at some point in Iowa city, but if you're talking quarterbacks right now, like it's going to be Padilla or Petrus and Petrus. I don't see him losing his job this season. Now I do think that you said before, I think there's going to be a discussion for quarterback competition in the spring. I think maybe you can talk about Hogan being more part of that. But right now I'd say Padilla and Petrus are the main two. And with the news that I got today that um, Iowa four-star quarterback commit Joey Lavis, 2021 commit, does not plan on early enrolling at this point. I know it was a conversation conversation at one point that he was that he doesn't plan on doing it right now. Like that's a three-guy quarterback class – or three-guy quarterback competition. Now I think Petrus – I think a big reason for that is they're going to try and put more pressure on him to really raise his game. But I also think there's going to be a certain level of intrigue about, you know, maybe an Alex Padilla or a Deuce Hogan. Like, cause I mean, Iowa, Iowa wants to see their quarterbacks throw the ball downfield. I mean, it's definitely a nice luxury, but you know, it's kind of like Wisconsin in a sense where you don't have to be perfect or you don't have to be very very good to play quarterback at Iowa like you have to be smart you have to know like how to run a pro style offense obviously a pretty unique offense um very systematic speaking especially with a coach like Ken O'Keefe but you know you got to be able to play but also you don't have to be the most talented guy in the world you just got no football you got to make smart decisions you got to be able to throw on the run and play action throw on the naked bootlegs, like whatever. Like you got to be able to do that type of stuff and also like attack the pressure. But, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I think Petrus, there's no doubt that he's a starting quarterback for the rest of the year. Ferentz confirmed it, doubled down on it yesterday after the game. But, you know, once comes springtime, I mean, I think it's very fair to say that 
there should be some a quarterback competition of some sorts. Now, I'm not saying there should be a battle, but I think there should be some sort of competition. Like, hey, Spencer, like you Open need to open-mindedness, essentially. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, I'm in the same boat. And like you said, I've mentioned multiple times, I, I think you just have to. I mean, Petrus, granted, Iowa's winning. I, you know, as much as people don't want to admit that, I think you have a good point about that. They're winning. That's ultimately the stat that matters the most. Are they winning? Again, I think Petrus has a lot of good leadership qualities, but this is why I got to dive into, Sean. The three plays that stuck out to me about the other day. One you mentioned was that open seam route to Amir Smith-Marset. Just missed it, right? The second was the Tyrone Tracy. I mean, again, wide open pocket. He's straight ahead of you. You got to hit it. Nobody was around him. It was, it was a pitch and catch. Just missed him. Third, that interception was one of the worst interceptions I have ever seen an Iowa quarterback throw. Maybe, maybe people think I'm being overdramatic about this, but the fact is that Iowa's offensive line – protected him so well on that play the pocket was not collapsing and you saw Petrus get the happy feet locking on Demir Smith Marset he span in a circle didn't even move not like run backwards and run back like he literally span in a circle and then threw it into triple coverage despite you could have no prep whatsoever entering a college game if you are a power five scholarship quarterback that throw should never be acceptable. He could have thrown it away, let one of the best punters in the nation this season, Torrey Taylor, flip the field in your favor and give the Iowa defense some breathing room. And as you mentioned, I thought Iowa's defense, Sean, yeah, they gave up a couple touchdown drives and I know credit to Adrian Martinez and, and Luke McCaffrey. And by the way, Luke McCaffrey is a legit 4-4. He's one of the fastest players I've seen Iowa play this year, maybe in the past couple of years. He is much faster in person than he is on TV. But Iowa's defense really doubled down and buckled down when they had to most. Like, yeah, they com- you know, Nebraska completed 21 of 25 passes, only went for 195 yards. Iowa was only giving up 3.8 yards per carry. And, and they made the plays when they mattered most. Davion Nixon, three tackles for losses, continues to make a huge impact. Chauncey Golston made the play of the game. And Zach Van Balkenberg, I need to double-check this, but he might be one of the nation's leaders in fumble recoveries at this point. It feels like he gets one every single game. But as you met, I mean, like, going back to my original point, that interception, and again, I'm not sitting here trying to bash Spencer whatsoever, but that is just – it's an inexcusable throw. It's just an inexcusable play. It wasn't even just the throw itself. It's what led up to the throw. It was just no comfort. The pocket wasn't collapsing. And we saw the result. And like I said – you know, thankfully for, for Iowa, that Nebraska shot themselves in the foot multiple times. They had a couple big holding calls on first and 10, a couple big plays that set them back. Then the Iowa defense made some big stops. But, yeah, Sean, I mean, I guess what's your take about the interception? And I mean, are you kind of agreeing with what I'm saying or you have a different take on it? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally understand. 
I definitely think, and Kirk kind of alluded to it during post game that, I mean, he didn't really dive into it too much, but he kind of talked about like, yeah, pretty bad decision. Like just kept it at that, which I mean, obviously he's going to talk more about it behind the scenes. And I think Petrus kind of, Kirk also said that Petrus has, you know, has been the hardest on himself. Um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with all your points. I think that, I think you covered it really well. And I think that interception definitely felt like I told someone else this earlier. I think that interception felt like 10 incompletions to most people. Like instead of Petrus going 18 for 30, I think a lot of people think that he went to 18 for 40 because of that interception. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's a growing, growing pains or it's a process of growing, but I know, I don't know. That's, that's a tough, that's tough for me. Cause that's definitely a play that you don't make. Like you're, you learn not to make that throw in middle school, like throw that ball away. Like mm-hmm. there was no doubt about it. Like, I'm not really sure what Petrus was trying to do there, but I think you just got to throw that ball away. That's really all you got to say about it. Yeah. And you know, something else, another key moment in the game, Sean, that I feel like we need to touch on is when Iowa went down 20 to 13, I, I was sitting by a couple people and I turned to them. I said, if Iowa does not score a touchdown here, I thought the game was over. It was when Iowa retaliated and responded with the touchdown following the big, like the final Nebraska score. That's when I started to have a feeling that, okay, Iowa actually might pull out this game because all the momentum in the world I thought was in Nebraska's favor at that point. And you know, it was right after Petrus made the mistake. The offense sort of died down a little bit. But they came out strong. They, they put together the big drive that was finished off by the two-yard uh, touchdown run by Makai Sargent. But that was the difference, I feel like, between Iowa in the first two weeks and this weekend was they responded when they needed to. And, again, I know they went off again in the quick start against Northwestern, but they didn't respond at the end or basically held, you know, to a field goal in the last three quarters against Purdue. They had the two-minute drill, couldn't take advantage of it. But I really love the way that basically the, the team rallied together. 14 plays, 66 yards, six minutes and 18-second drive. Uh, Petrus hit Nico game for the 16-yard gain. And then they, you know, Tyler Goodson just continued – uh, to run the ball. And he, he, like I say, he's got to be feeling sore. I think the career high he had in carries is 21. I think he ran for 20 one time before that, and he had 30 yesterday. So, again, I need to figure out what's going on with Kai Sargent, if he's healthy and all that. But I'm sure Tyler didn't mind the uh, the workload. But, yeah, I guess trying to get back to my original point here, I, I thought at times, Sean, that Brian also tried to outsmart himself I thought they are, they should have came out, ran the ball right away. I was shocked to see them throw so much early. Maybe he was trying to catch Nebraska off guard, but that's not always the best strategy when entering the game when Nebraska's 13th in the conference and rushing defense. Sometimes you got to stick to the script, and I think Brian at times can overcomplicate things and just try to outsmart himself, and that can put Iowa in some interesting positions. Obviously, the, um, I'm bouncing around here, but the muff punt – uh, was a big thing uh, point in the game. Again, Tory Taylor continues to make a big impact. And you wrote a story post game, Sean, about Terry Roberts, who just seems like every single game has made one of the bigger plays 
in each football game, whether it be a, a fumble recovery on a muff punt, a big special teams tackle. He really seems like he's starting to come into his own as well. Right. I think you had to remember, too, one of the beat writers, Iowa beat writers brought it up during the post game when we were talking to Roberts is that he was partly responsible for pushing um, – who was it? I don't remember exactly who. It's not coming to mind right now. Um, last year during the Iowa State game for that muff punt. So, you know, he's been able to make plays. And I think the most – like, a yes, I mean, came in as a cornerback, has really, really had a nice role on special teams. And I think Kirk – the most interesting point about that, I think Kirk said after the game, was that Terry Roberts, he could see him as a guy – that could really be an every down type player at cornerback. Now I know he's not listed on the depth chart right now at cornerback, at least from when I last checked it. Um, but you know, he's a guy that played a little bit last year at cornerback, you know, had some, had some moments here and there when Iowa's depth was really thin with all those injuries. And I thought, I thought he did a fine job. Now he, I don't think at that point he was really ready to be that every down guy. But I think we've seen it more and more on special teams, how he's able to really buy into his role and the way he's able to cover, too, on those. He just runs straight down the field and puts pressure on the returner. I thought he did a re- he's done a fantastic job of that, um, which makes me think, too, like Farron said, that he could be a guy at some point during his career that contributes on defense as a cornerback. Now, I don't, I don't know about every down. I think – I mean, I trust what Kirk says when he mentions that, but – I still think there's a couple of younger guys that could be that could fall into that fold as well. Um, but you know, as far as just his play, I mean, I don't see why not at some point in the future, just because he's been able to really, really make a name for himself there. And you know, there's a couple other guys too, like Jay Higgins, who I think will be a pretty good linebacker in the future. Now we can talk about Jack Campbell a little bit too, and how impressed sure. I was with him and linebackers and stuff, but. You know, some of those younger guys on special teams that really be – that really, I mean, aren't necessarily making huge plays like Roberts, but do some of the little things that really that really help out Iowa in that regard and I think could really bode well for the future. But, yeah, I think definitely Terry Roberts has put his name back in the conversation as a guy that could compete for snaps next fall um, come springtime. And we'll have to see what happens with Matt Hankins, too, if he wants to try to begin his professional career or if he likes to come back, maybe try to have a fifth-year college and be a four-year starter, essentially. Still be interesting. But like you said, and I think Terry Roberts said this postgame, too. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he just said every single time you're on the field, you need to make the most out of your opportunity. And I think that with the way he's sort of attacked his role on special teams, I think he's earned the respect among the coaching staff and his teammates, and that's why – Kirk said that you could see him being a potential every down back and uh, every, every down defensive back. But yeah, again, he's another guy that it really seems like he's coming into his own and Iowa special teams. I mean, we can sit here and do an entire podcast about how effective it's been. I mean, LeVar Woods, I think is one of the more underrated coordinators all across the country and whatever people coach. I mean, what, what he's done this season, the past couple of seasons for the return game, the fake, you know, the trick plays and everything like that. And I've said this before. I know where it's a long way down the road, Sean. But whenever Kirk decides to call it quits, if LeVar Woods is still at Iowa, I think he needs to be a candidate for the head coaching job. I think everything he has coached at Iowa, it's turned to gold. He's a very personable guy, very likable guy. And he loves Iowa. I mean, he just loves being in the state. He embraces being a Hawkeye. And Iowa likes to keep it in the family. And he – definitely is, is, is all about that mantra, but 
Yeah, I, you know, any, any final uh, takeaways? I know Sean will dive more into Illinois this weekend, but uh, again, I think you need to give credit to Nebraska to some extent for the way they came out and attacked things. But uh, I think the only other thing that we need to talk about, which people probably have waited for a while, you were at the press conference. I was making my way over to the basketball game. We'll touch on basketball for a couple minutes before we wrap this thing up. What I, it's kind of unbelievable, Sean, over the past couple of weeks, I've never seen Kirk pop off like he has against Minnesota with that, with that zinger about leaving the timeouts in Minnesota and taking Floyd with him. And I have never seen Kirk that visibly ticked off than when Scott Frost basically accused Iowa of disrupting their sig- – not signals, but clapping on the sidelines to simulate uh, Adrian Martinez or Luke McCaffrey snapping the ball – and basically blamed Iowa for their center's inability to snap the ball. I'll get on that in a second. But what, what, what was your kind of what, what, what are your thoughts on the entire situation, Sean? It's pretty bizarre. Yeah, I mean, I think there were some videos where people showed it, but you know, all in all, like just based on Kirk's comments, based on Scott Frost's comments, Keith Duncan as well, like this game's a rivalry. Like whether you like it or not, like this game is a rivalry. Like there's no doubt about it. I. I don't really have a doubt in my mind about it because, you know, just the way the animosity these two programs have between each other and Nebraska, like <clears throat> it's, I know, I know I went off topic here, but Nebraska is going to be very good in the next few years. I think, I think, I mean, yes, there are concerns, but I think they have the talent. They have a recruiting class coming in with some good players. Um, the freshmen that they have now are very good, especially on offense. I think they're going to be a very dangerous team in the Big Ten West, and this rivalry is going to ramp up the next couple of years. Now, I mean, I know it's been close, but, you know, Iowa's had a winning record the past couple of seasons. Nebraska is not in the Scott Frost era. So I think people base it off that kind of feeling like it's so far apart, but I think Nebraska's coming. I think they're going to find a way to put it together eventually, and Scott Frost is going to be the head man for that. But yeah, I mean, going back to the Caden stuff, I mean, I haven't really seen any video of it, but I was definitely a little thrown off when when Kirk come up came up with that. I mean, I didn't hear exactly what Frost said. I just saw tweets of it. I didn't see the video. But, yeah, I mean, I think Kirk said was pretty fed up with it because, I mean, what are you going to do? Because what? It's only parents and media. Like, that's – like, are you going to complain about it when a head coach – like, when, scream, when fans are screaming at you too? Like when fans come back in the game, yeah. Like I don't know. I just think I just think it was dumb overall. Really shouldn't have been brought up. It here's my thing, and I'll try to you know limit my comments about it, whether people like it or not. And like you said, it's a hundred percent a rivalry. I actually have a column coming out about that within the next day or so, where uh, <laughs> I kind of dive more into that. But I've seen the videos, Sean, and my thing is. If, you, if, if you're a center and you can't tell if the clap's coming from two yards behind you or 30 to 40 yards away, you got bigger problems, number one. Now, and Kirk said this too, which I don't think people are paying enough attention. He said if you're on the field doing it, he understands that. Like Davion Nixon, I think, has been called for it twice this season, trying to mix signals. But coaches clap. That's how they get, you know, communicate with their team and everything like that. And, yeah, I've seen the video on the sideline, but – I, I think it was just a pathetic excuse from Scott Frost, honestly. I think that he, he blamed a lot of stuff, whether, uh, whether it be the officials on, on Iowa or anything else. It, it, it just seemed pathetic. And on top of that, too, Sean, 
which no way is talking about. The Nebraska center got benched last week for bad snaps. He's been a bad snapper for the past two seasons. I found an article on Husker 247, our, you know, our friends there, that October 6th of last year, Frost said there are no more excuses when it comes to snapping. This has been going on for a long time. So if you're going to tell me in an empty stadium that Iowa coaches were intentionally trying to disrupt your center from snapping, that's, that's stupid to me. And number two, uh, last time I checked, clapping wouldn't mean that you're going to snap the ball five feet over your quarterback's head or at their feet. Like, even if that was the case, you'd still at least get a good snap. That means the problems lie deeper than that. I'm not saying Iowa's completely innocent, but I think to blame them entirely, throw them under the bus and blame them for your snapper's inability to actually execute a proper snap, I think that's just petty. I think that adds to the rivalry. I think it's an excuse-making, and I think it's just not lacking. I just don't think it's taking accountability for Frost. And being around that program, Sean, and covering his introductory press conference, he's really, in, you know, keeping up with them. He's really thrown the old staff under the bus time and time again. There really has been a very much lack of accountability. And I think that, again, until they take accountability, I don't think that that program's going to be coming anytime soon. You and I differ on that. I think they have a long way to go. They've always built talent but never have developed it, and the little things continue to cost them. I digress. That's the main takeaways from football. I know there's plenty more we could dive into. And, Sean, I know you didn't get the chance to talk – I mean, to watch the uh, basketball game. I still want to get your thoughts from the first game and kind of look at the stat lines, what stuck out to you. I'll tell you uh, what I'm thinking. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back here in just a second. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So Iowa 2-0, as expected, defeating North Carolina Central and Southern. Luca Garza, you know, if you, in case you're busy watching the, the pettiness between Scott Frost and, and Kirk Ferentz, you missed a, an absolutely historic performance by Luca Garza last night. 41 points, including 36 in the first half, which tied in a record for the most points in Carver-Hawkeye Arena by a Hawkeye, 12-12 shooting. I mean, he's lived up to the preseason hype and more. Granted, it's against two lesser teams. But uh, there's some good and some bad coming out of the first couple of games. Sean, again, I know you didn't get the chance to watch the second game. But going back to North Carolina Central, um, maybe looking at the stat line, were a couple of things that, that kind of stand out to you when you look at this team? I still think there's some mishaps on defense that could be fixed. Now I know it's the first season or first two games of the season, but also – Southern putting up 76 points kind of would make me feel a little bit uneasy about it. Um, but, you know, I think Garza obviously dominant yesterday against Southern, no doubt about that. Wieskamp seemed to have a pretty good game on the stat sheet. Keegan Murray, man, I mean, I've been trying to tell people, and I know a couple other people have talked him up to me, but Keegan Murray's going to be a really good player in Iowa City. Aaron Ewis, too. Those two are probably the incoming freshman that I was the highest on along with Tony Perkins. Well, I think Chris Murray and Josh Glendale will figure it out at some point. I mean, I love Keegan and Aaron. I think those two guys are going to be very, very good four-year, five-year players in Iowa City, or 
well, yeah, five year because we'll, we'll see. The free, four or the five free year. eligibility, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, those are mainly my takeaways. I mean, Dave, you, you were the guy that was kind of on the ground for both of those, so I should probably let you have most of the limelight on this one. Well, I'll say this, and I, I was kind of on board with the Keegan Murray fan train, but again, I know you wrote extensively about them, so I give you credit for kind of trying to say, hey, guys, you might want to wait to watch him play before you get mad that Iowa offered him a scholarship. I don't think anybody's questioning that anymore. And I know you agreed with me on this, Sean. Patrick McCaffrey's a hooper. I mean, yeah. he's going to be a really good player for Iowa this season. He's going to be a very big key contributor. Uh, scoring the ball inside and out. And, and on top of that, too, Sean, he just he wants to be great. He wants to win a championship. He, wa- he really wants it. Iowa won by you know, 28, 27 points last night. Patrick McCaffrey went out immediately after he, he, uh, a few minutes in the locker room and team meetings and stuff like that. He went back out and worked out for an hour 30 minutes of which from the free throw line because he went one of four from the free throw line. That's the sort of thing that it takes to actually be able to achieve where you want to achieve. And I give a lot of credit to Luca Garza, not just for the scoring, not for the rebounding, not for the defensive prowess. I think underneath, I mean, as a rim protector, Sean, he's completely evolved. I mean, he's not going to sit there and block eight shots a game, but he looks like so much more of an intimidating presence than he previously had. But after the game, him and Joe Wieskamp, we got a chance to talk to them. And Luca said, I'm not happy at all. I think that we got too comfortable in the second half. And it's my job as a leader to make sure that we don't get comfortable about it. And he said, we're two games in. There's nothing to feel comfortable about. Joe Wieskamp doubled down on that. Said he needs to do a better job as well as Luca. But again, I, I know it's two lesser opponents, but I think attacking it with that sort of mentality – is exactly what's going to win this team games late in the season. I think that – I think Joe said it best, and he said, yeah, we won by 30. Everybody thinks it's great, but there's so much more we can improve upon. We need to be able to get out of our press faster because we're giving up too many layups and open threes because they're so reliant on trying to force turnovers with their full-court press. And, the, and just because they're aware of that, I think that's a really, really big deal. I think that Joe Toussaint is still playing a little fast, but his three-point shot looks better. Connor McCaffrey's knocked down a couple of threes. I mean, Sean, if Joe Toussaint and Connor McCaffrey are knocking down threes, I think Keegan Murray can be a 35, 40% three point shooter as well. I mean, I know, I know we keep harping on the offense and the defense has to come along, but Sean, how do you guard this team if Connor McCaffrey and Joe Toussaint are hitting threes at a 40% clip? Yeah, that's a, that's a scary sight for other teams without a doubt. And I, I don't know why I miss Patrick McCaffrey. He was, a, he was a top 75 player in the country for a reason. I think we had him, like, maybe that, like, number 80 or something. I think it was 82, 80, I think. 82 or 83 by the composite. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, he was a top 100-whatever player for a reason. And I love his length up there. I mean, he he said they gained 20 pounds this offseason, but, like, I mean, it's definitely somewhat noticeable, but he has, it's not like he like lost his step or he like looks lethargic on the court no, with that added yeah. weight, which I thought was really impressive because, I mean, he had like a super skinny frame in high school and growing up, obviously, with all the stuff that he had to go through. But the way he was able to add on that weight, he looks a lot healthier and he just looks like he could be more physical and more ready. I mean, I know it was North Carolina A&T, but, you know, at the end of the day, or it was North Carolina Central, excuse me. Illinois was playing North Carolina A&T. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, he looks more physical. He looks more ready to compete. And I think he's going to be a really big surprise. I mean, like I said, along with Keegan Murray too, like bring when Jack Nunji comes back as well. Like this team, this team has potential to be very, very deep and deeper than I think most people. I mean, we kind of talked about that. Fran has said like they're deep, but like he, I think we see it now with the guys, like maybe we thought Keegan Murray would take a little more time to really get accustomed to it. Um, Maybe that um, Patrick McCaffrey as well. And then we'll see what happens with Jack Nungy. But, you know, I think overall, like, there's a lot to like about this team and just the overall depth. And you said before, I think defense could definitely be a little improved. But I think that's going to come as, you know, they get more get more game-like situations and they play more play against teams um, other than themselves. Couple things too, Sean, that I think are very noteworthy, at least to me, is to start the season. Remember Luca Garza is sixty-five percent from the free throw line last year. He's already fourteen of sixteen this season. So I mean, that is a it, whether who you're playing or not, fans or no fans, the fact that he's fourteen of sixteen, I think is a big deal. Joe Wieskamp was four of six from three point range yesterday, now up to fifty percent for the year. Yes, it's only two games, but again, those are the little things I was looking for hanging into the season. Would they be improved? And I can't believe I forgot about Jack Nungy uh, just because I was caught up with Keegan and Patrick. But Jack Nungy, I believe, is going to make a big difference in the rebounding category because, again, I was out-rebounded last night. And Fran McCaffrey said the one thing outside perimeter defense he was really pissed about was the way that Southern attacked the offensive glass, and Iowa did not. Southern had 19 offensive rebounds. And, again, I think getting Jack Nungy in the paint is going to make a, wor- I mean, a world of difference, Sean. Is on defense. I, I think Jack brings a lot to the offense. Defensively is where I think he can carve out the biggest role for the team. Aside Luca Garza, he can rebound, play defense. I think if he does those two things, that's what's going to take Iowa to the next level. And something that I, I know, again, I know you haven't watched game two, but I didn't expect this. I thought Keegan would be able to contribute on offense, but I thought Keegan defensively, he's quicker than I thought he he was too. He's been blocking shots. He's been aggressive on the glass, which isn't surprising considering what Fran and all those guys say. But Keegan and Patrick both looked better defensively than I thought they would. Through and again, only two games, I know, but they're engaged. They want to make a difference on defense, and I think that's half the battle. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. And yeah, I mean, physicality wise too. I talked about with Patrick, but. Even Keegan, just with the added weight he's been able to put on, I think he's like six foot eight, six foot nine, like two hundred fifteen pounds, something like that. Yep, almost identical to Chris. So yeah, there's definitely a lot to like about him. I mean, Fran loves these versatile guys. Like I think Peyton Sanford's going to be another guy that you can add to the mix with them. Like that's going to be a very very fun trio to watch the next couple of years because they can do so many things on the basketball court. Whether that be defending, whether that be guarding different guys, whether that be rebounding. Um, you know, shooting the ball obviously is a strength of all theirs. Like it's going to be a very, very dangerous group to watch because they can just do so many things on the basketball court that help you out. Like not just do one thing, like they're extremely versatile. And I think that's what Fran's going for when he has these type of guys. Like he doesn't just get these guys because like, Oh, Patrick, he's my son. Or like, Oh, the Keegan, the Murray's are, um, the younger, the sons of a former Hawkeye, um, but you They're know, legitimate scholarship players. They're yeah, and, basketball players. And like Pat, like Peyton Zanford, like Waukee kid, top 140 kid, like he's a perfect fit in Iowa system. Like 
there's some, there's a reason behind Fran recruiting these guys, like not just because they're in-state guys or connections. Like they are very, very, they're going to play very, very well together. Couldn't agree more. And Iowa plays Western Illinois on Thursday. And then I believe it's North Carolina up next. We'll dive more into the Iowa basketball team later on this week. But again, these are our final thoughts about Nebraska. I mean, about this Iowa team. Again, we, we don't even need to talk about Luca Garza. I mean, what he's doing is it, it's crazy. I mean, he's 25 to 29 from the field, three or four from three, 88% from the free throw line, 19 total rebounds, and averaging 33 and a half points a game with three blocks. And the very last note I'll bring up, Sean, two notes. One, Jordan Bohan's going to get going. I think he's really passing the ball well. I think he's doing some good things. The shot hasn't been there yet, but I don't think you have to worry about that with him. But if Iowa is shooting 50% from three and C.J. Frederick and Jordan Bohannon combined to go two of nine, that is a scary, scary sight for opposing teams. Uh, they'll have to guard them. And right now the Iowa offense is ranked second, according to Ken Palm, I believe 75th in defense, which it'll have to get better. But that's not the worst start in the world. But, again, it has to get a lot better. But I think that's going to about do it. I guess the last couple of things I'll leave you with is 75% off an annual subscription Black Friday weekend sale at HawkeyeInsider.com for the most in-depth Iowa Hawkeye news, analysis, scoop, discussion, everything else, details at HawkeyeInsider.com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at David Eichold, at SBach247, at Hawkeyes on 247. We'll talk to you in a few days when uh, we preview the upcoming matchup with Illinois and gear up for – a top probably four rated Iowa basketball team as Virginia fell yesterday. So the Hawkeyes very likely slide up another spot and we'll see what happens on December 19th. If Iowa can win out, uh, but a lot of things to dive into. We'll get more into that next time, but again, Hawkeyeinsider.com. Be sure to check us out, bookmark us, subscribe, like everything else like that. But until then we'll talk to you next time.